the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, the proof that our culture does not believe in a free exchange of ideas played out uh, in Silicon Valley last week. Uh, Not where the bank failed. I mean, where the bank failed, but not at the bank failure. Uh, That's a separate news story. Shocker, right? That uh, train wreck headlines would uh, would come from, emanate from a place where uh, they do not believe in the foundational values of America, like good investments, not LGBTQIA-driven investments will allow a bank to be successful. And in the incident I'm speaking of at Stanford Law School, where a speaker invited by a student group would be shouted down before he could speak because he is a federal judge. And after all, what could a federal judge have to say that law students at Stanford University would want to give any heed to? I mean, this guy, all he's done is exceed to the level in his uh, career in the legal profession to the point where he got appointed a federal judge. He, though, is sorely lacking in his awareness of and uh, familiarity with diversity, equity, and inclusion. So when federal judge, Fifth Circuit appellate judge Kyle Duncan, stepped up in front of the podium last week, invited again by the Federalist Society, and I know you and I right now are both going, they're allowed to have a group at Stanford called the Federalist Society? How did that happen? Yes, I know. Well, you knew it was going to go bad. You just didn't know how bad it was going to go. Well, it went so bad that over the weekend, Stanford's president apologized to Judge Kyle Duncan, who was shouted down when he tried to speak. Now, I'm only going to play a snippet of the shouting down because it's very hard to understand, and it soon devolves into profanity. But here's Kyle Duncan at the podium basically saying, can I speak? You invited me to speak. Can I speak? And you'll hear the students, no, you can't speak. And then a dean, of course, of diversity, equity, and inclusion, tells Kyle Duncan, no, shut up. You're harmful. So you've invited me to speak here, and I'm being heckled nonstop. And I'm just asking for an administrator to sign the That's an administrator. Your racism is showing. Your racism is showing. Yeah, yeah, your racism is showing. Okay, you get it. He's white, so his racism is showing. He's a federal judge who didn't rule the way they wanted to on use of preferred pronouns in court. So they shouted him down. And this went on and on and on and on. This went on for like the better part of 10 minutes or more. And finally, he had to be escorted out by two federal marshals who were not. You say, wow, the Biden administration sent federal marshals to protect this guy? No, come on. They read about his appearance at Stanford. 
on their own, these two federal marshals, and thought, eh, this looks like trouble to me. <laughs> Maybe we ought to go and have this guy's back just in case. So they told him beforehand, hey, this could get ugly, man. You are here on the devil's playground. And if you want out, just put your hand on top of your head. And we'll take that as a signal that we got to get you out of here. So that's what the, that's what happened. They got him out. Now, here's the aftermath. Uh, Stanford is now telling, get this, this is, this is only Stanford could come up with this. The same administrators who were at the speech heckling the judge or standing by not helping the judge speak, in other words, by telling the students, hey, shut up, this guy's got a right to be here, he was invited here, let our guests speak. These same administrators are now the administrators to whom an email tells members of the Federalist Society to go to if they were traumatized by what happened last week. You follow me? You're a student at Stanford. You're in the Federalist Society. So you're called every name in the book wherever you go the minute they find out you're in the Federalist Society. And you invite this federal judge to campus, and he agrees to come, and he's there speaking or attempting to speak, and he shouted down, if this is a traumatic event for you, they want you to go to for healing the administrators who caused this to be an ugly incident. Yes. Leaders of the Stanford Federalist Society received an email Saturday night from the acting associate dean of students, Gene Marino, who stood silently as students disrupted Duncan's talk. Marino pointed them to resources that you can use right now to support your safety and mental health and discouraged them, this is the best part, discouraged them from tweeting about the event until this news cycle winds down. In other words, we're taking a big hit in the press over this. Everybody's writing about what idiots we are at Stanford because we are not willing to listen to a federal judge in our law school, presumably the level to which our law school students aspire. But if you want help, go to the people who caused this to happen, but don't tweet about it. Don't say anything about it in the news media because it really looks bad. She said, the reason why you should not tweet about it until this news cycle wides down is because trolls are looking for a fight. Oh, trolls are looking for a fight. None of the students who went to the speech were looking for a fight. None of the people who told the judge his racism was showing just by standing there in a suit and tie and being white. Unbelievable. Stanford's president, Mark Tessier Levine, signed off on the email apology to members of the Federalist Society, saying that the administrators who led the protest violated university policy, which staff members should have enforced, and that they, and I quote, intervened in inappropriate ways that are not aligned with the university's commitment to free speech. He said Stanford is taking steps to ensure that something like this does not happen again. How much you want to bet it happens again? If a conservative speaker goes onto that campus, how much you want to bet it doesn't happen again? Of course it will happen again. Uh, so here's Judge Kyle Duncan talking to Rod Dreher. Rod Dreher's a pastor. He's written a great book. I highly recommend Rod Dreher's book, Live Not by Lies. It's 
a lot of the foundation uh, underneath me as I have tried to formulate how I talk about these kinds of issues. Judge Duncan tells Rod Dreher, It was a deeply unpleasant experience. I didn't fear for my safety yet. Uh, he said, You might read comments that I was at some point given permission to deliver my remarks by the DEI assistant dean who protested my presence. That is nonsense. For a good 20 to 30 minutes, I was ruthlessly mocked and shouted down by the mob after every third word. And then the DEI dean launched into her bizarre prepared speech where she simultaneously welcomed me to campus (laughs) and told me how horrible and hurtful I was to the community. Then she said I should be free to deliver my remarks, try delivering a lecture under those circumstances. So now you tell me, will this woman be fired? Will this DEI dean be fired? I mean, I say all the time, do Democrats ever see themselves in the mirror when they are doing the things that they say are the most germane threats to our democracy. Right? She is, let's just back up a second. She is the dean of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Okay? So this judge is bringing to campus thought that she does not approve of. Okay, doesn't Kyle Duncan's difference of opinion with her bring diversity to the discussion? Wouldn't it be equitable if she's going to speak? I mentioned that the Oscars uh, were last night. And as I was finishing up yesterday watching the uh, Players' Championship, I was looking during the commercials, I was looking for eh, what else is on. Are there basketball games on? Is there a movie on? I might catch a part I really like in between while the commercials are on. And I noticed, like, there's this Oscar pre-show on, like at 5 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 3 o'clock. It's all afternoon. It's like an all-day thing, right? I mean, this is Hollywood's big night. So here's an interview that happened on the, uh, well, the carpet's white. It's not red, but red carpet is a, more of a label than an actual instance, with actor Hugh Grant. Now, Hugh Grant, uh, he's been in some movies that I like. I never really quite understood, like, why Hugh Grant became a star, but he did. And um, it sounded to me, as Hugh Grant was interviewed, like he would have rather been on the couch with me watching uh, the uh, Players' Championship than being interviewed by this woman in a curious getup who wants him to be super excited about being there, except he definitely is not. Hugh Grant, you are a veteran of the Oscars, and you've been here a few times. What's your favorite thing about coming to the Oscars? Um, Well... It's fascinating. It's uh, it's uh, the, the whole of humanity is here. It's uh, it's Vanity Fair. Oh, it's all about Vanity yeah. Fair. Yes, that's where we let loose and have a little bit of fun. Um, what are you most excited to see tonight? To see? Yeah, well, I know that you probably watched a few of the movies. Are you excited to see anybody win? Do you have your hopes up for anyone? Um, not, not no, no one in particular. Okay, well, what are you wearing tonight, then? 
Uh, just my suit. Your suit? Who yeah. made your suit? You didn't make it. Um, I can't remember. My tailor. That's okay. Yeah. Ta shout out to the tailor. Yeah. Um, so tell me, what does it feel like to be in Glass Onion? It was such an amazing film. I really loved it. I love a thriller. How fun is it to shoot something like that? Well, I'm barely in it. I'm in it for about three seconds. Yeah, but yeah. still, you showed up and you had fun, right? Uh, almost. Okay, all yeah. right. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much. It was nice to talk to you. Yeah. All right, back to you guys. I think she went over five there. Wow. That's, uh, that's a bad interview. That British dry humor. Yep. Hugh was not having it. Not having it. So if you hear about the Hugh Grant interview, now you've heard it. And that's that would actually be fun. You mean he wasn't wearing Valentino I don't or know something? What he, he wearing a tux. Yeah, wearing a tux with a bow tie. Yeah, you know, what his I have own to wear. Tux, though. Yeah, his own. He he's, wasn't giving the designer he's any been, credit at all. He's been successful enough that he's able to own his own tux. So right. There you go. That's what he's saying. Uh, but success does not always mean that you will keep things in perspective. Case in point, uh, former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick uh, has a new book out in which he is accusing his white adoptive parents of perpetuating racism. So the guy who knelt for the national anthem, who... Uh, grew a conscience about social justice right at the exact same point where he was benched and could no longer have a job in the NFL and thus uh, was clinging desperately to relevance by kneeling for the national anthem. His new book is called Change the Game. And in it, I really think this is worse than prostitution, what Colin Kaepernick is doing. This is a guy who was... Put up for adoption, thankfully. Great job, birth mother. She did not believe she could raise him, so she put him up for adoption. And his uh, adoptive parents were white. Colin Kaepernick is, of course, black. And he says this in the book. I know my parents loved me, but there were still very problematic things that I went through. Okay, so what, what things? Uh, he says that his parents tried to steer him in a direction they thought was best. I just paused there because I wanted you to roll over that in your mind. His parents, this was what was problematic, tried to steer him in a direction they thought was best. All right, if we're, if we're guilty for steering our kids in the direction that we as parents think is best, then we're all guilty. And you know what? I hope we're all guilty because we all should be steering our kids in the direction that we think is best. Can you give me an example, Colin Kaepernick? Why, yes, he can. He says that his idol growing up was Philadelphia 76ers guard Allen Iverson, who had cornrows. And so he wanted to get cornrows in his hair. Now, he says his mother told him, if you do that, your hair is not professional. You'll look like a little thug. So Kaepernick, decades later, says that his choice of hairstyle is still, quote, informed by the, by the comments his parents made to him years ago. Um, okay. Here's the cold hard truth. All of our parents say things to us 
that could have been, in some cases, said better. It does not mean that what they said to us did not come from a place of love and concern. And it does not mean that however they said it, however inelegantly or inarticulately, that it means they do not love us or care about us. Okay? Uh, Colin Kaepernick is using the allegation of racism against his parents who took him in, fed him, clothed him, raised him, no doubt made sacrifices for him. Is it remotely possible that she didn't want him to get cornrows because they couldn't afford it? Because I assume that's not something Colin Kaepernick could do on his own, that you go to a hairstylist and have that done, and you have to pay to have that done, and maybe they couldn't afford to pay to have that done. That's a possibility. This is using your parents as a target to perpetuate this persona you've adopted since becoming irrelevant as a player in the NFL. You are using your parents as a target. You are accusing your parents of racism so that you can make money off selling a book. He ran out of other people to blame for racism, apparently, or at least the most explosive instance of racism that he cites in his book is his parents which I think is worse than prostitution. He chose years ago to prostitute himself as a caricature of perceived racism in a country where, as a black quarterback, he was able to start for the San Francisco 49ers in a Super Bowl. There were many black quarterbacks before him who never were given that chance because they were black. His very presence as a starting quarterback in a Super Bowl nullifies the narrative he is trying to tell you that America has made no gains in terms of how it's dealt with race over the years. And so in order to perpetuate that, he takes the people who raised him, who loved him, who nurtured him, who cared for him, who literally took him in and says they are racist. That is worse than prostitution, what he's doing there. Because he's taking innocent people, good people, and holding them up to ridicule that does not apply to them. Boy, oh boy, this guy is so far off the decency end of the meter. It is impossible to calculate. So, that we leave it with you there or tomorrow. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.